Yesterday we began speaking about not knowing, bearing witness, loving actions, the three tenets of Zen peacemaker tradition that Bernie Glassman founded and we're speaking about this because Bernie died Sunday, May 4th, 2018. November. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right, I said May. Uh, November 4th, 2018. Excuse me, don't know where, what day, <laughs> what month. But yeah, not not knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly, the snow reminds us it's not May here in Illinois. So this not knowing—that's. In some sense, easy to say, letting go of ideas, fixed ideas about ourself, about others, about the universe, and all sorts of places between that. And yet, it's very difficult. It sometimes means not knowing what's right, what's wrong. Just being life itself, as opposed to our fixed ideas about it. This not knowing, in a sense, is the core of being able to enter the present moment of Zazen. And yet... The next step is a continuation of that, this bearing witness, or if we elaborate, bearing witness to joy and suffering, bearing witness in some sense is being experiencing, being embracing the intimacy of not knowing, the intimacy of knowing even, without holding on to knowing, not knowing, bearing witness. And all of us have places where we like to bear witness, and yet we have places, realms, where we don't, aren't willing to bear witness, deny all sorts of things, whether it's we bear witness to those who are close, but not those who are distant, those who we like, but not those who we, quote, don't like. And there's all sorts of realms from the 
most immediate to the most distant. Some of us, like, are inclined to bear witness to more global and general groups, issues, but won't bear witness to our next-door neighbor who acts so crudely, or that person in my family who always speaks that way, especially at family gathering, or that person who just doesn't have it together, and I've had enough of them. How do we bear witness to the joy and suffering, which is being the intimacy of the whole of this universe life that we are, to all of life. We've talked about this joy and suffering of the world in the past when we talked about Thich Nhat Hanh's Call Me By My True Name. Where again he was saying, call me by all my true names, all the joy and suffering. And of course we all had beings, human and otherwise, who we would want to include and others who we didn't want to include. Whether it was the snake eating the poor frog or the pirate rapist or the Politburo member or the arms merchant or the and you add on those who whose joy and suffering we couldn't call by the true name. That's what bearing witness is is calling true name. Bearing witness. Who are we not willing to be with? Who are we not willing to give up our fixed ideas about? Who are we unwilling to embrace in our not-knowing intimacy, which is our life? See, Zazen is exactly this. Zazening is exactly this bearing witness. Or, as Joko would put it, being just this moment. It's the reality of this moment, but we want to translate it into different ways of saying it and use that translating as a reason and excuse for agreeing what I'm willing to expose myself, so to speak, to, and what I'm not willing to expose myself to. Bearing witness could be all sorts of things. Things we are denying, things others are denying, and, of course, Bernie's practice was to push people into bearing witness to things that they denied in terms of social action, things that society denied bearing witness to that we don't want to deal with. And yet, and yet, 
That's exactly where our practice is. Doesn't matter knowing, not knowing. Our not knowing becomes just a formality when we hold on to our knowing. In a sense, bearing witness is another side of not knowing or of knowing. No problem with knowing if we don't hold on to those fixed ideas. And of course, the next step is in the tenets of the peacemaker is loving action, if you want to say loving action towards all beings, ourselves, others, or we could say as Joko say, says it, being just this moment, compassionate, compassionate way, compassionate functioning. But it's easy to say and hard to do in all sorts of situations, which is why we elaborate it further in the precepts in terms of how we speak, how we act, what we hold on to and believe. This Bearing witness, in some sense, is testifying. We know about bearing witness, even though it's a, you could say, a, what should I say, a strange word to some of us. But in, you know, in the English language, we were, use the word to testify, and that's bearing witness. It, might be an odd construction, but we're all very familiar with the term to testify, whether it's testifying in court or testifying with our action, testifying with your likes and dislikes in the virtual realms and in your consumer realms. Some of you might remember that in the Song of Zazen, Zazen Wasan, by Hakuin, there's the phrase, it goes, if we concentrate within, that means if we do Zazen and testify to the truth that self-nature is no nature, we have really gone beyond foolish talk. Then he goes on regarding the form of no form as form and the thought of no thought as thought. But this testifying is really making alive our zazen. If we say off the cushion, fine. If we say in our life, fine. We could say bearing witness as, as well. Bearing witness. And a good signal of where we need to bear witness is where we're unwilling to even notice our fixed ideas and belief about, whether it's about so-called 
me or so-called someone else or so-called some larger entity at a distance. And it's out of (coughs) being this witnessing or being, we could say, being this experiencing and being the presencing intimacy of others, of circumstances, of suffering, and of joy. Some of us are easy to bear witness to suffering, but unwilling to bear witness to joy. But most of us will sort of say, oh no, that's not me. I have no problem with bearing witness to joy. But some of us even might find that. But we have to look closely and be present. So Bernie, as he liked to be called, or he used to be known as Tetsugin, that was his Dharma name, developed this as his way of what he called it, taking the practice from a traditional monastic mode, which is how he was trained and his decision was how am I going to make this available to the broader public who doesn't know Zen, isn't interested in Buddhist teaching, Buddha, Dharma, and yet can relate to some of this whether it's because they relate to the specific issues and using that as an entranceway into the fundamental practice of not knowing, bearing witness and loving actions. In a sense, as an entranceway to expand narrow focus on specific issues on specific concerns, on specific peoples, to a broader functioning of compassion, so that all the true names can be called, all that they we exclude. can become the subject, if I say it in such a way. Um, I won't, in a way it's not quite accurate to say subject, but the opportunity to be, to reveal who and what our life is. So all the myriad phenomena In other words, all the circumstances of our day, all the people and other beings that we encounter in various forms are our opportunity 
to reveal and manifest who we are, who and what our life is. So, I want to stop now because I've already heard from some of you that you wanted to explore this a little more. And I'll give you that opportunity. Um, As I said, let me say a few more things about Bernie. In a way, my old habit of wanting to say Tetsugen keeps cropping up, but he, I've known him, known him as Bernie since the, I think it was in the 1990s that he decided, oh yes, it was, I don't think, I know it was in the 1990s that he um gave up his formal um, role as a um, ordained Zen priest and decided to function as Bernie rather than Tetsugen. So it's been more than 20 years and still old habits occasionally pop up and... uh, doesn't make a difference what we call ourselves. We all have many names. We all have many names in our life with people. Even if you have just one name, you also have names as sister, brother, father, mother, son, daughter, cousin, etc. We all have myriad names. And all the people we encounter have myriad names. But our practice is to see we're all this one name. We're just encountering our own life with every encounter. So we could use all the names without getting trapped. That's this not knowing. That's this bearing witness to the joy and suffering. The not denying Anything, anyone we meet. That doesn't mean being foolish. That doesn't mean not acting appropriately. It means just the opposite. It means acting appropriately, loving action in the circumstances with whoever we encounter because we encounter the intimacy of them in the form exactly as we are and they are. See? Then is the opportunity to be taught by life as it is. Not that we teach them, but they teach us. They teach us in the senses, no they, it's our life that we see, hear, listen to, respond to, bear witness with. Okay, I'll stop now and 
see what you might want to say. If you want to change positions, feel free to do so. Silenced everyone. <laughs> yes, Lisa. Can, can you say a little something about what the Peacemakers group? is involved with? I don't really know anything about that. Um, it's a form of engaged Buddhism, but it's involved in all sorts of different things. So, um, I don't want to... Environmental action? Maybe. Maybe um, hospice. Maybe... Zazen in prisons, maybe Zazen at Auschwitz, maybe um, other sorts of things, all sorts of things. It's much easier. You could look it up on the Internet. Um, but it's not but just Sanghas? It's, it's, it's not just Sanghas. It's not just Buddhists. There's, there's Christian peacemaker groups. There are Jewish peacemaker groups. There might even be Muslim peacemaking groups, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm 80-90% sure. Um, there's some who, you know, approach it purely from the point of view of where, where they want to put their energy. Uh, for instance, one of Bernie's... Um, uh, big activities, which is sort of pre-peacemaker, uh, or at least pre-formal peacemaker, was uh, Grayston Bakery, which started off, started out as a part of uh, the Yonkers Zen um, group at Grayston, and then became uh, a bakery and community housing for AIDS groups, but a bakery to employ, to train and employ people, some of whom had um, prison records um, or other um, juvenile offense issues, some of whom had major la uh, uh, lapses in their education, uh, many of whom lived in... Um, and came from poor um, backgrounds, various ethnic groups. So it involved training them and giving them skills in terms of producing baked goods of different sorts, um, linking up to sustainable agriculture and local um, producers, and at the same time turning a profit and using the profit to support, for instance, the housing, child care, etc., in a particular community, in this case in Yonkers, New York. That's one example 
Um, there's many more. I certainly don't know very much about the details of what they do in Europe. Um, some of them are involved in uh, street practice in parts of Germany and in Paris. Um, some of them are involved with groups of Christians in, in um, as I said, in Europe and in um, Switzerland. But I can't give you more details um, about that. I mean, I could look it up, but it, I, don't, I don't know the details. In the United States, they were involved for a period of time you, using homelessness as both a practice for themselves as a training practice and also as a place to which to put energies. Is that enough? Yeah. Okay. Um, you're welcome. So they, they, what I understood is that they did their, their sessions. Who's? Who? The peacemakers. Um, out in maybe a poor neighborhood and sitting on the street for five days or whatever. It's it's not so simple. I mean, there was some um, some uh, being homeless as a practice, but in a sense, there's a certain um, problem with that if you interfere with the lives of the homeless as if you're going there to do something for them. So it was, so it was their living as homeless was the, but not, um, attempting to use the resources of the homeless. Um, but that was a practice. Um, I don't want to say too much more about it. Just like going to Auschwitz, which is where they often would do session or regularly did do session was a chance to bear witness one to the killing that involved that was involved in Auschwitz Birkenau um, killing of Jews killing of Roma killing of other specific peoples um, but also bringing together people of all sorts of different backgrounds including um, uh, survivors, children, grandchildren of survivors, children and grandchildren of Nazi guards and um, perpetrators. There's similar activity they did in in parts of Africa, in Rwanda and elsewhere, um, with I think both Hutu and Tutsus, which were the two groups that massacred each other in brutal terms, in other places in the world. Remember, these are places where there's lots of denying the suffering of certain in order of certain others. So it's the bearing witness in a specific way. That's one of their practices. But you don't have to go look afar. Think of who you deny suffering, whether in your family or friends or um, co-workers or people at a greater distance whose suffering or joy 
you're not willing to bear witness to because you hold on to fixed ideas about them, whether they're worthy of it, whether they're blameworthy of it, whether, uh, blameworthy is not the word, to blame, um, whether it's appropriate or not. We don't have to go looking too far to find places where our fixed ideas get in the way of us bearing witness to people, to circumstances, to conditions. That's what the practice that we're talking about here. How can we be willing, whether we have scarcity or richness, to use that in accord with what's appropriate to the occasions, to be whether we're, quote, higher or lower, to be willing to be that circumstance, as opposed to all sorts of fiddling, all sorts of unwilling to give up these fixed ideas, or, or if we say it, all sorts of holding to self-centered ideas. Self-centered dream. Believing thoughts about others. Believing thoughts about yesterday so that today I'm not willing to encounter and be intimate at this moment with this person. With this event. They should know better. They shouldn't have done. They or vice versa, with ourself, unwilling to experience and bear witness to our own circumstance in some ways, our own experience in some ways. See, that's what it's always about, opening ourselves up, testifying, as Hakuin said, that self-nature is no nature. Therefore, we There's nothing to hold on to about who and what we are or others are. Or, if that we hold on to it, we make trouble about it. It's, as the Buddha says at the very last words, all composite things are subject to change, are constantly changing, are impermanent. And yet we want to hold on to this fixed idea about Composite things. Composite things means people, circumstances, conditions, beings, our own life. Okay? Yes? So I, like I got confused somewhere about bearing witness actually, which is really kind of cool. Um, I like to think of my neighbors because... They give me no end of turmoil. <laughs> turmoil. I mean, they're beautiful uh-huh. because always I struggle with them. Uh huh. Yeah. So, like, when they're being nasty to me, or they're on my property, or they're doing one of a billion things that <laughs> that aggravate me. Uh huh. There's a difference between like the setting of boundaries, like having my fence belt to, right. to keep them away, versus the incessant complaining about how they shouldn't be loud and how they should be. 
Yes. So that's where I'm not buried. It's not the, like, no, they shouldn't be in my property. Or if somebody's cussing me out, I'm like, no, I shouldn't stay here and listen yes. to this. But it's the holding on to yes. whining about it, for lack of a better word. Yes. Okay. And, and it's seeing what's loving action towards both so-called ourself or so-called the other. And seeing what's loving action isn't so simple. Sometimes it takes a a while to reflect on that and to spend time being present and bearing witness until that loving action becomes clear, until being just this moment allows compassion and action, compassion with. And since you spoke, my, my mind all of a sudden remembered something else. One of the other aspects of this Zen Peacemaker work has to do, since tomorrow is um, Veterans Day, am I right? At least I'm in the right month, the right year. <laughs> Tomorrow's Veterans Day. Um, one of, uh, some people in, involved in the Zen Peacemaker Order are also involved with work with veterans and with various other aspects, PTSD, etc. I'm sorry, but my brain sometimes uh, <laughs> doesn't remember everything. <laughs> so, yes, so there's all sorts of realms. Simple zazen and, and um, greeting everyone you meet as you walk home from the zendo or as you spend your day. You could spend, you could decide today is my day to bear witness to everyone I encounter at work, on the street, people I don't know, people who are always nasty at our board meetings, our group meetings, our, you know, business decisions, noticing and my, my fixed ideas about them when they pop up. Pick it one day a week. Or just simply I'll notice every time I say something about and you fill in who the abouts are that you occasionally in your mind in your internal dialogue you have comments about. See, this there's many realms where this practice is appropriate. Um, I should say, these practices. And these practices are just the practices that we talk about all the time in different ways. It's just different ways to help us, in a way, let go of self-centeredness. Let go of the self-centeredness where we blind ourselves in our self and other duality so that we could live the life of non-duality or this life of not knowing and not holding to separation and not holding to fixed ideas, subject, object. Not holding to it. It doesn't mean don't use them. It's just don't get stuck by them. Let them come, let them go just like everything else, so we can be this that we are.
Sure, Joe. Um, it just occurred to me that you know when you when you mention about false witness, it, it brings up to me that commandment in the Jewish tradition about don't you know thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Yes. Is that is that something to do with that? I mean, does that just so bearing bearing witness is is, is the yeah the the false witness is that those fixed ideas. See, that's why first we have to enter not knowing in order to be able to bear witness because we have all sorts of I didn't use the word false but it's nice that you use it we all have have all sorts of false fixed ideas about other people or about ourselves and we hold on to them we expand them from yesterday to today to tomorrow and we know what they're going to do and they might they might not who knows but when we hold on to those when we hold on to a little piece and say that's all of them you know yeah i made a mistake i said may instead of november oh i must be my mind is going i, I i'm on my way to dementia and i've lost it <laughs> That's holding on to a little piece. I mean, of course, that's a ludicrous way to say it. But, that's holding on to a little piece and then expanding it. So, we hold on to a little piece about a person and then we say, oh yeah, they're always nasty. Even if they said something or did something that we interpret as nasty, and we interpret as their intention was nasty. Of course, we know how to read minds. I mean, don't we? So we know what people's intentions are. We don't even know our own intentions half the time, but be that as it may, we assume about others' intentions, and then we expand it. And even where things happen, now this doesn't mean if you've got someone who always screams at kids when they pass by their house that you... Don't say, kids, maybe we should walk around the block because you're going, you know, when we come home from school or something like that. Because when you go by so-and-so's house, they're going to scream at you. But at the same time, when you encounter so-and-so in the street, see if you could let go of their screaming at kids and be with them as they are right now. I had a teacher when I was in grade school who had been in Shanghai during the World War II um, and was subject to the bombing by the Japanese. Fortunately, he survived and uh, made it out. But it was pretty terrible. I mean, his going to Shanghai was his way of escaping the Nazis in Eastern Europe where he had been, so he somehow escaped through the Soviet Union into China as a way to getting away from where much of his family was killed. And then he was further traumatized by the Japanese bombing. So he would be teaching us, and then all of a sudden there'd be a noise, and he'd, ha, ha, Japanese bombing, 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 Japanese bombing, and then he'd calm down. So his trauma and 
he, he, it would be a little more elaborate than what I showed now, but his trauma would just happen. If I were to say, based on the fact, if I didn't know that backstory, you'd say, wow, that guy's really crazy. Middle of class, he starts talking about Japanese bombing and going berserk. But because I knew the backstory, so to speak, I say, okay, that's a little piece of the being that's manifesting right now as a result of all sorts of cause and effect. Yet, when if when I'm with him, I'm always about, oh, this guy's crazy, he's ready to go off any moment, then I can't be with him. Instead, I'm in my fixed idea about that person. Now, that's just one little example. We all can find other ways where we hold on to fixed ideas about people and expand them, or even fixed ideas about ourselves and our life circumstances and what's going to be. The point is to be able to allow those to arise and pass, but not hold on to them so that they blind us from bearing witness of the life of joy and suffering, which is this present moment intimacy, and from being able to respond lovingly in this present moment, both to so-called ourself and to so-called others. Jeff? Yeah, just a, a couple of things. First of all, uh, um, I was just remembering uh, the last book, last novel that Peter Matheson wrote before he died mm-hmm. uh, was a kind of fictionalized account of a trip to Auschwitz with Bernie's group. Mm. It's not just about that practice, but that's the setting for the novel. And there's a character in the novel that's clearly based on Bernie. Um, just people don't know, Peter Matheson was, he had a teacher relationship with Bernie, although he was older than him, but they had a student-teacher relationship. Um, second of all, what occurred to me was... Uh, you want to say the title of that book? I don't remember. The oh, okay. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Memory. I can't remember the title. Well, maybe Google it. Yeah. Okay. Um, kind of a corollary to bearing witness occurred to me possibly is something else that come, has come up in your talks and in your teaching and something to the effect of that. The greatest gift is the gift of no fear. Mm-hmm. Seems like that hand, goes hand in hand with bearing witness. Because mm-hmm. that, I think there's a clear relationship with our unwillingness or un- inability to, to, to look at something literally. There's, there's definitely fear there. I know when I see somebody on the street I can almost feel my fear arising. Somebody on the street is clearly, um, you know, this is going to be one of these moments when I'm going to have an opportunity to to turn away or to just bear witness to this event. So 
somebody asking me for something usually. Yeah. And um, I know that that brings up discomfort at the, at the least and fear, sometimes outright fear in me. So that's a practice to mm-hmm. literally look in the eye of somebody in that situation. Sometimes it takes a certain amount of courage yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yes. Peter, um, Peter Matheson was, uh, he, he, I knew Peter, met Peter in 74, 73, 74. Um, he's a long-time Zen student, and he's written quite a number of novels and non, non-fictional works about um, natural environment, etc. Um, he's also written uh, several books connected to his uh, practice, um, what, uh, one called Snow Leopard about his practice, and one called Nine-Headed Dragon. Uh, the first is about his travels in the Himalayas um, and various Zen and other Buddhist practice. Nine-Headed Dragons is his travels with Maizumi Roshi and Bernie, among other things, in Japan. Um, and I don't know the name of that most recent one that you're talking about. So just for people, but as Mushin says, you can Google it and find um, find uh, details of, about that. Okay, I think that's everyone. I'm wearing reading glasses, so when I look up, I can't. I sort of miss you at a distance. <laughs> um, the, the glass is distorted, so if I missed someone, please. Uh, But otherwise, thank you. Please continue the session practice and continue this practice of bearing witness in your experiencing, in your zazening, and responding in session, out of session, lovingly or compassionately, whichever word resonates with you, whether to the simple compassionate action of chewing and eating your food and the the next meal, saying hello or goodbye to people after sashim, and all sorts of other activities from animate to inanimate, Uh, beings that we encounter throughout the day and throughout our life. Thank you.